I'm AJ Bianco, host of Reflect Ed, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I've got Dr. Susie Wise, who is the founder and former director of the K-12 lab at the Stanford University D School. She also is the author of the awesome book, Design for Belonging, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. You're going to love this talk. You're going to love that book. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews. And uh, could you uh, leave a review for the podcast? That would be so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Susie Wise is the founder and former director of the K-12 lab at Stanford University D School, also known as the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design, and she also co-created Liberatory Design. Dr. Wise is a design leader with experience in the education, tech, and the social sectors. She coaches leaders in equity design and innovation practices. She teaches at the D School at Stanford and coaches with the Mira Fellowship. Susie coaches school leaders across the country to address their diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. The tools that are being used to create change in schools can be applied to any organization. Why does a sense of belonging matter? Because if we feel like an outsider, it affects our school or work performance and ultimately our physical and mental health. It can also lead to more dramatic consequences like a person becoming vulnerable to foreign and domestic terrorist recruitment tactics. Today, we're focused on her book, Design for Belonging, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. Susie, thanks so much for joining me today. Say hi to everybody. Hey, it's great to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, I'm glad you're here. And uh, first, let's talk about this that I read in your bio. Dr. Susie Wise is a founder and former director of the K-12 lab at the university at the Stanford University D School. Could you tell us what the D School at Stanford is? Absolutely. The D School is an interdisciplinary institute that sits, we like to think of, at the heart, the beating heart of Stanford. It draws students from all the graduate schools as well as undergrads to come and learn design and innovation processes so that they can create change in the world that might look like 
work in the medical field that might look like changes in law, that might look like innovations using technology or organizational design, a really wide range of outcomes come out of the classes and the work that students do. But what, what matters most to us is that students build their creative confidence and know that they have a method that they can use to be creative and create the change they want to see in the world. Excellent. And I got to ask is what goes along with that is, uh, you know, you founded and at one time were the director of the K-12 lab at the D school. Um, could you share what that inspiration was? What the, you know, what was the, you know, what made you say, Hey, this is what I need to do. Yes, absolutely. So I was a graduate student in the School of Education when the D School got started at Stanford. And right away, I knew that the methods of design thinking and the design practices were a way that I had been working that I love to investigate with a really human centered lens. I loved doing ethnography. I also loved partnering with teachers and students to build prototypes and create new things in their schools. And as I was deepening my understanding of these methods and practices, I really wanted to ensure that teachers and particularly students were using them out in the world, right? Stanford doesn't have um, its own K-12 system, but we wanted to see what we could do in the world with that. So we started prototyping right away, introducing teachers and later school leaders to the methods of design and found that, of course, they took them up brilliantly and were creating all kinds of change in their classrooms, as well as working with their students on design challenges and other kinds of projects. So it was a really rich arena for helping to create some change in the K-12 system. Very nice. Very nice. Now I'm getting ready to, to start talking about your book, but before we do that, and I can cut this out if you want, but this is an audio podcast, so my so my friends and listeners can't see what I, I you have friends behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I have two creatures that you can see if we're ever in a live Zoom. Um, and one is a Totoro, which comes from the um, Japanese animator um, Miyazaki, and the other is an owl. And both of them are Halloween costumes that my husband and daughter created for my daughter to wear out in the world. She's going to turn 16 tomorrow, so she'd be horrified to know <laughs> that I was talking about her on a podcast. Um, but the costumes are kind of fun, and during these Zoom times of working from home, they migrated to my office to be to be Zoom buddies. That's awesome. And I'm sorry, I just had to ask, because they're, they're very nice, sizable uh characters and i and i thought i kind of recognized the the rabbit one over there yeah and, uh, yeah that's totoro and my the, friend totoro very cool and so uh, very nice they, they're very lifelike and uh, very real so uh, very nice so i appreciate you taking a chance to explain that and, of course of course so uh we sh we, sh we could add that you've got buzz lightyear in your background <laughs> yes yeah, so just Although a he's, got, he's a little flatter than my creatures <laughs> <laughs> yes very much so so very cool uh um, so, so let's start taking a look at uh, what you get into in, in your book. Um, and just to remind everybody, your book's called Design for Belonging, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. And, uh, you know, in, in the beginning of it, one of the things that you, you start talking about is belonging. Can you talk about what belonging means? 
Yes. Belonging, first and foremost, I want to remind people is a feeling. It's a feeling that we need in order to be our whole selves, in order to do good work, in order to learn, in order to teach. Belonging is the feeling that lets us know that we are welcome and that we're not just welcome, but that we're invited to contribute and be a part of something. One of the quotes I use in the book from John Powell, who introduced me to the othering and belonging framework, is that belonging is more than just being seen. Belonging entails having a meaningful voice and the opportunity to participate in the design of social and cultural structures. So it's that idea of belonging is not just fitting in, belonging is getting to be a part of your world on whatever level that, level that is. That might be your classroom, that might be your neighborhood, that might be just within your family unit, but getting to show up and be you, that then opens up the opportunity to share your unique talents, to learn in the ways that you want to learn. It lets you be fully yourself. So that's belonging and it really matters. And the opposite of it is othering, being made to feel like you don't belong, that you're projected upon, that you are less than. And so that's I'm always trying to get us to think about how can we use our tools of design to build more belonging and to reduce othering. That is awesome. And that, uh, you know, and it's funny because reading, just going through the beginning of the book, I mean, it's hard not to to think about uh, times when uh, um, lots didn't know what it was called at the time, but othering was lots of that was going on. <laughs> and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And that's one of the, the structures of the, of the book starts with feeling. In fact, when you ask somebody to think about times when they felt belonging, sometimes what comes up first is a time when you didn't feel it, when you felt uncomfortable, unwelcome, projected upon, and that's really useful, I think, because it helps us remind, remind us that that's why we, we care about building belonging for ourselves and for others, is so as to avoid more of those feelings. Yeah, that's, that's so right to the point, because it's like, uh, you know, because you can't help but think about uh, when you didn't, when you weren't welcomed, and when you were, or when you did feel a part of the group, or um, whatever it was that you were trying to, um, that you were wanting to be part of, or, or being pulled into, or whatever, and uh, um, you definitely hit that nail on the head. The more you read right there, it's, you just can't help but take a pause and go, yeah, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's really useful, too, then, because Part of why I came to work on belonging and wanting to offer it to, to school leaders and to educators was so that we remember that when we're trying to work on our equity work and addressing the equity challenges, sometimes equity becomes a little bit of an abstraction. And narrowing in on focusing on belonging helps us get back to that felt acquaintance with what really matters. That's what we're doing when we're trying to work towards equity. We're actually trying to build belonging for more people. And if we can remember the times and places where we felt belonging and where we didn't, then we can do some of the analytic work to say, oh, yeah, and the, this group in this context rarely gets to feel belonging. I wonder what structures are making that true. Can we address those? So I think 
leaning into the feeling even as an individual can help us then to see the scenes that we're in, see the situation that we're in. It's, it's so powerful because there's, there's any number of things. I mean, even, even in an adult, you know, you, you think, some of this is all going to just be related to kids. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in the school context, thinking about how the adults are interacting and how they're feeling and what it's like to come back from Zoom school into in-person school or what it's like to persevere when a pandemic is or isn't happening is, is really important. How the adults are feeling in any context really matters. That impacts the children and the students so much. Very much so. So I got to tell this story because uh, at one of the schools, I'm, I'm brand new. I've come from another school system and uh, all excited. And I got to meet some of the, the I was a history teacher. So I got to meet some of the social studies staff um, before school, uh, before the pre-planning. And uh, so pre-planning is done and over with. And uh, we got kids coming. And uh, so we're during that first week of school and it's lunchtime. And so I go, I happen to be one of the first ones to get in there and where the teachers sit. And so I go in and I sit at a table and, and in a minute, here comes part of the social studies crew and they come and they sit not at the table where I am, but they sit at the table behind me. And I'm like, I think I remember that I'm part of your department. Is there a reason why you all sat back there? Is this like a test or something? They said, no, come join us because that's the math table. And I said, Whoa. I said, what? <laughs> they said, that's the math table. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. And they weren't. I came and joined them, and pretty soon here came the whole math crew, and they sat there, and that was the math table. And uh, nothing against math teachers. That's not my point. <laughs> my point right. was there was a whole bit of uh, bo uh, um, belonging and othering going on right there as, uh, as I belong to the social studies department, but not the math department, so I better sit at the right table. <laughs> yes. Well, and you're raising this, this topic, too, of how space is one of the levers. Imagine if that, that room had a sign that said, hey, today they're new folks, so we're going to mix it up so that everybody can meet somebody outside of their department, right? That would have done a whole other thing. Or if it simply said, today we're meeting in departments, like lunch, right? And this is the social studies table, right? You would have known right where to go. And you would, you know, so it's an interesting, it's happening all the time. And part of why I wanted to do this book to intersect design practices with this sense of belonging that we need and want to feel is to remind us that it's the intentionality of design can help us build and test and see if the way that we're creating our lunchrooms or our classrooms, right, or our school buildings are supportive of belonging or not. That's interesting because you got me, you know, I've had, I've told this story a million times and it's funny because, you know, it is one of those things of belonging uh, and not belonging. And, and part of it, you know, the design of that is that the, you know, certain ends of the school were, I mean, certain parts of the school were math and social studies and so forth and so on. And, uh, and so you, you, you kind of, I guess you basically isolated yourselves. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. And there's some great, there's some important things that can come from that. Then you can collaborate, you can really dig into the history and the social studies work that you're doing, et cetera. And if what you're wanting to do is more interdisciplinary, then you have to build in the mechanisms to mix up 
So it really depends on what you're trying to create, which again gets us back to that notion of the intentionality of design. That's awesome. You know, it's it's because I was at another school where uh, we were teamed, and uh, and so each team had a um, history teacher, had a math teacher, had a science teacher, and uh, um, and I left somebody out, <laughs> uh, math or whatever I left out the uh, English. Anyway, the uh, there was four of us, and then uh, if you were uh, a, a team stream uh, team, then you had a special education teacher on your team, and and so. The, that made those departments connect, but then you became separate from your department, which is interesting. So it's, yeah. well, you may, just reading this book made me fly through all this type of stuff just as adults because you see what the kids have to deal with as well. And so good stuff. I Before we go any further, I got to make sure that I point this out. Your book is is awesome looking. I mean, it's beautiful. And it's it's just, I mean, you know, wow. It, it's the format, the colors. You have foldouts. <laughs> I mean, where did that inspiration come from? Where did, I mean, that's cool. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoy it. Part of it uh, for me and for the D school in doing this, because there's a, a series of books, but each book got to have really different attributes that the author, you know, came up with. Um, I want to shout out to the artist that I got to work with as an illustrator. Her name is Rose Jaffe, and she's actually a mural artist based in Washington, D.C. So mostly she's doing things large scale, out of doors, etc. She's also a printmaker and an illustrator. I was really lucky to get to work with her because I had from really early on, I had this idea of these foldouts. And I was so excited when the publisher agreed that we could do it. Shout out to 10 Speed Press there. Um, so the one of the foldouts that you're describing is what I call the pantheon of host heroes. So it's folks that inspired me. One of the practices that I love about design is being able to really source inspiration from a wide variety of contexts. So those host heroes, some of them are academics. Some of you know, one's a dancer, one's an artist, one's a filmmaker. Um, one is Laverne Cox, who's a trans activist. So it's a really interesting mix of folks. And I wanted to honor them like I remembered the fold out in um, my Greek myth book as a child that was the pantheon of the gods and goddesses. And they were up there on Mount Olympus. And I, I wanted to honor these folks for the inspiration that they had given me for the different angles and ways to think about belonging. Well, wow, that is so, that's so cool. <laughs> Did I interrupt you? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and there, there are two other foldouts, um, which are kind of the main emphasis of the book, which is one is about seeing belonging, and those are experiential moments to dig into. And then the third foldout is what we might call the levers of design. And that's really thinking about how do you shape belonging? So thinking about space and rule and ritual and time, how can you use those things concretely and intentionally to shape the environment in which you're working to build more belonging? Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's a beautiful book and it's so cool to have those fold outs. And as, as someone who, you know, as a teacher, I, I was a, a, one of my many hats that I wore was uh, the yearbook sponsor. And uh, every once in a while I'd, I'd do a fold out or something like that. So I, I understand the process and that's kind of, it's just neat. I, I think it's cool. And it, yeah, not only it's really fun. And for me, 
I, I'm a designer and I'm an educator and ultimately I'm a tool builder. And so I wanted the book to feel like something that you could use. Yes, you can read it start to finish like a traditional book, but you could also flip through and find a picture that struck you and then think about that notion. One of the pictures I um, really like is the one about schedules and rhythms. And so you could just, you could read that short section and think about how is time showing up in your work and practice and what's a way that you might want to change the way that you work with time, for instance. Uh, I love it. That's, you know, and just as a note, uh, so now being honest, yes, that's what made, what happened to me was I saw the first fold out and I went, woo, is there any more fold outs? So I, are there any more fold outs? So I went and I flipped through and I found the other fold outs. And then I started looking at the different, the different illustrations that had to do with different parts. And I'm like, this is, so anyway, I started reading the book by fold out. And then I start in the middle with this bright orange, uh, um, yeah, great. <laughs> drawing. So and, great. and so I, I did exactly what you're talking about. I, That's so great. I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. It's meant to be useful. It's also meant to be something that you could think about. You're heading into a meeting and you just, you flip to a page and you think about ritual and maybe you do a quick check-in question ritual at your next meeting. And you can then notice what that created. What did you learn about your colleagues, for instance? Love it. Love it. I, you know, one of the things that's also throughout the book is you've identified individuals like Christine Wong Yap and Alita Hayes and David Yeager. Why did you showcase some individuals? So these are the host heroes. They are folks that in some way contributed to my understanding of belonging and the folks that you just mentioned, so Christine Wong Yap is a really interesting social practice artist. I got to see some work that she did with the Othering and Belonging Institute, and then I just started to follow her work. And she does work in community, some of which inspired some of the exercises in the book, where she asked people to talk about and remember a place where they felt belonging. So I have an activity in the book about mapping your places of belonging because we can find really interesting clues when we notice the times and again, places where we felt it. So it might be that for you as a child, you remembered your neighborhood library as a place where you could belong because you could show up there. Perhaps there was a friendly librarian who helped you find uh, books that your family didn't know about um, and you loved sitting in a particular corner. You might have this kind of nostalgic memory of that as a place of belonging. That's really useful. One, you can honor that place. Who knows? Go back and tell that librarian, wow, this is really a place for me where I felt I could be myself and I could grow myself. Um, and you might also then think about what are the places that in your school or in your organization that you want to create that might have some of those feelings for others. You might want to do maps with other people that you work with or are learning with to understand some of their highs and lows of belonging or their places of belonging. So Christine Wong Yap is in my book because I just I loved the way she was engaging those questions and she inspired me. Alita Hayes is somebody who is a dancer. She teaches dance at Stanford. She's someone I've had the honor of working with in some of our executive education and teacher education workshops at the D School over the many years. And I love the way she invites 
all kinds of people, people that consider themselves dancers and definitely many people that don't consider themselves dancers, she invites folks in to move their body. You're not coming to a dance class. You're actually just entering a space. And that notion of how we enter spaces is really beautiful and really matters for belonging. And I think she does an incredible job of reminding me and hopefully us through the book that our bodies are part of our belonging, that the way that we take up cues, whether they're explicit or implicit in spaces of how to move our bodies can contribute importantly to how we can belong. And then the third person you mentioned, David Yeager, he's a scholar and he looks really closely at the mechanisms of belonging and creates interventions that can help students to feel a greater sense of belonging. He particularly works in the context of university, um, but he's also worked in secondary education as well. But the, the importance of belonging in order to see yourself as a learner is very important. I also have Camille Farrington in there too, who does that work in uh, some of this research, related research in high schools. Um, but the notion that we need belonging in order to persevere when things are hard. So one of the phenomenon that David Yeager was able to, to show is that for first generation college students, when they hit their first bump in college, they often interpret the difficulty that they're having as being about them not belonging in the college context. A student who has more of a sense of belonging will get that first, you know, let's call it a bad grade on a test and think, oh, I should or could go to office hours or study more or reread my notes, right? I can tap into a bunch of practices because I haven't suddenly gone into a kind of identity threat that says, oh, this is about my belonging or not, which puts you in a totally different psychological place and makes it hard for you to seek help. So I, I wanted to bring in these scholars that help us think about how belonging, how important belonging is for our ability to learn and grow in formal education as well as informal education. Excellent. Well, it does a great, great job of that. And it was, and it was cool because you actually, I mean, each of the ones I selected were because of something a little bit unique about them. And, uh, you know, and I thought that was cool about Alita who basically said, you know, you don't have to be a dancer. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. You can belong to your body. Nice. Nice. Right. Uh, Which is really profound. Yes, it is very much so. I, now, something like you talked about before, when you're talking about how things just kind of attracted your attention, there was a section that really attracted my attention. I read it a couple of different times. Um, and in there, it talks about comings and goings. And I was wondering if you might just take a minute to talk about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I talk about that in, um, in relationship to a mentor of mine, Mark Salinas. I got to be a fellow with the National Equity Project. And in that context, um, I was constantly struck by Mark's kind of jujitsu moves around facilitating our fellowship group. And one of the things that he always did 
was at the beginning of any session that we were having, he would he would say, you know, so and so needs to leave it too, and so and so, you know, is is not here now, but will be joining at ten or whatever the specifics were, and it had this really interesting and humanizing impact on me that made me feel like, oh, he was actually making this move to let people know that it was okay to express their needs and that that wasn't somehow going to make the whole thing fall apart. Everyone wasn't going to suddenly disappear or something like that. I, and it, for me, it helped me recognize that I sometimes had a kind of, would try to have a tighter grip on the people that I was supporting or teaching or facilitating in a given context. And it, it just, it helped me recognize that as part of belonging is it's again, getting back to like getting to able to show up as your whole self. Wow. You, you have children. That's a great thing. You need to leave early because you have a sick child. That's okay. We can handle that. We're not going to crumble because you're human. In fact, you're being human is why we're here and it's what we want to support. So I just, I love that notion. And then in the book, I connect it to the idea that in any community, they're going to be comings and goings. People are going to join. They're going to have to need to leave for all kinds of reasons. I mean, we can even just go to this kind of moment that we've experienced of the pandemic and recognize the moves and shifts and people who've moved house and people who've lost loved ones and people who've gotten new jobs or lost their jobs, the ranges of, of ups and downs and comings and goings are part of our human experience. And we want to be able to take those up and take those in and normalize them in some ways to, to support belonging and to not be rejecting people because of their real needs to come or to go. That's actually a sign of a healthy and growing and living community. It's just such an awesome section because it really talks a lot about, you know, some people get upset because <laughs> you got to go or you, you know, I can be there for just a little bit, but I've got to move on or, or even just the whole, eh, maybe the, it, it's just not going to work out with this, this timing here and someone else not really understanding that, you know, why, why, <laughs> why not? You know? And, um, I just, this really just talked to me this section. So I, I thought that was cool. Thanks for explaining it. Absolutely. Thank you for noticing it. You know, one of the things that, uh, I got to talk about is that you also have these different sections in the book that share exercises and like on page 71, there's one called assumption storm or on page 134 meeting maker, which I really liked by the way, could you talk about these two as well as maybe the thought behind having the exercise segments? Absolutely. So I'm a designer and an educator. And at that intersection for me is what are the things that we get to try in the world in order to learn, to gain greater insight and to see where we're really understanding about our context. It matters to see the system and feel into the system that we're a part of. And I think concrete exercises help us do that. So one of the ones you mentioned is the assumption storm. I love that exercise. It's, it's in some ways it's a classic design exercise, but I would love to see it used really widely. Even in conversation, it could show up, I think. The assumption storm is to simply say in whatever context you're in, 
what are all of your assumptions about what's going on here? So in the book, I think I use the example of an after-school program that decided that they were a little bit stuck. And so they just did an assumption storm about their program. And you start really basically, the point with assumptions is to state the obvious. So at, if you're looking at after-school program one, one assumption is it's after school. Another assumption that this particular group had was that it was particular kids that had signed up to be in this after-school program. And they went on and on and listed a bunch. Then they went back and what you do is you try to flip those assumptions. So what if the after-school program isn't after school? What if it's before school at lunchtime? What if it's during a particular class, right? You could think of all the different ways that you might be able to flip those. Similarly, for this group, they investigated that, that you had to have signed up. So what if you didn't have to have signed up? And then they recognized that that was actually, they were having a belonging issue there. When they, when they dug into that, they recognized that they had some kiddos that would come to their program and they constantly had to say to them, no, no, you're not part of the program. You can't you know, come in or you can't do this activity, whatever they were working on. And so opening that up, that made them one recognize that they were they had this kind of othering maneuver that they were doing that maybe they didn't need that maybe they could revisit or if there was a structure that said that you had to sign up maybe it was a liability issue great but could they open it up and say well on Wednesdays and Fridays we have open time or maybe there's a bring your friend to program day or any number of things this generated a whole bunch of ideas and it was because they looked at the assumption, flipped it, and tried to open it up that they could open up a wide range of ideas that ultimately would serve all the students in a really interesting way. So it's a powerful way, a powerful thing to do is to notice your assumptions and then push on them, investigate them, try to flip them. It's good for idea generation. And it also can be a really good activity for a team that's just coming together and doesn't actually know all of the norms um, or how the kind of the, their small culture is working. It's a great tool to open up that conversation. I love it. I love it. That is, it's good stuff. And it reads really nicely because it's uh, really, you know, just, uh, I mean, you get it. All right. So you're, you're reading through it and you can see how you could use it, which I like. So very nice. Uh, all right. So I got to, I got a theoretical question here. Let's say that you were um, able to talk to an audience of educators that are from the K-12 um, space about your book, Design for Belonging. Uh, what's one thing that you would want them to take away and remember? I would want them to take away and remember that belonging is profoundly necessary for learning. And so to investigate when and where they think a wide range of students in their classrooms actually feel they belong. And they could do some of that investigation on their own as a thought exercise, but I love the idea that educators, if they took one tool, it would be to ask their students when and where they feel their strongest sense of belonging, because they'll get some really cool indicators of some things that are working for belonging and they might also notice some spots where work can be done to design, to create change, to build more belonging in those places where students aren't really feeling it. And then related to that is the notion of 
being really careful to investigate the belonging of students that are furthest from opportunity, whether that's economically or according to racial identities and positionalities, looking at students that are furthest from opportunity and where they have belonging and where they don't is a really powerful lever for change. That's that's excellent. I, you know, it's funny because what you're just talking about made me think about um, when I was principal at this one school, there's a group of kids who um, they were uh, um, in those days. I don't know about today. In those days they were basically were referred to as goth and uh, they were a very peaceful bunch. And, uh, and they found their one, this, this one area of the school, which uh, that's where they like to gather and they'd play magic and D and D and stuff like that. And, uh, but it was like their place. <laughs> and, you know, it was funny because I found myself having to protect that place <laughs> because it was, it was kind of like uh, this was their sanctuary. And uh, um, uh, there were some opportunities that arose in which I had to protect the space, but it's, yeah. it's, it's just, it's just interesting listening to what you're talking about because there's just uh, different ideas that uh, can come out of this. And uh, I thank you for sharing. This is, this has been very cool. I've, th- your book's awesome. You know, designed for belonging, how to build inclusion and collaboration in your communities. I love the way it looks. I love the way it feels. Cause I, I also didn't mention that, that not only does it have fold outs and stuff like this and great colors, but it has a, has neat bumpy design on the top of it, which is really cool. And um, Susie, before we close, could you let everyone know where they could connect and learn more? Absolutely. So the book is available on all the platforms and your local bookstore will also be happy to get it for you. I've been finding for me and my bookstore can get it for me in a day or two. And um, you can also find out more at designforbelonging.com where you can uh, download a toolkit, you can sign up for an email list, and you can check out a video where I tell a personal story about not belonging. Excellent, excellent. So I got, uh, I'll make sure that information's in the show notes so they can find it easily. And I got two last questions for you that have nothing to do with your book or anything like that. They're just questions like they asked my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? That's such a good question. For me, I try to take purposeful pauses. Sometimes that's five minutes. Sometimes it's hopefully a whole day. But I love to get out in nature and just reground in my purpose. That's excellent. That's excellent. The uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Oh, absolutely. So, I I mean, I feel blessed that I've had many teachers that have taught me a lot. But the person that comes to mind when you ask that question is Mary Kimball. She was my, so thank you, Mary. She was my French teacher in high school. And she was an incredibly um, gifted teacher in creating immersive environments for us and motivating a number of us to go to France and do a homestay. And in preparation for our homestay, she created an entire weekend immersion at her home where we we were asked to pack for our trip. The first thing we did, we arrived 
at her house for this weekend, packed. And the first thing she did was send us on a walk around the block with our luggage so that we could learn right away that we had packed too much and we would not be able to handle our luggage. So we started there. Then when we got back to the house, she had some French speaking friends that were there and we went through customs. And then she had some other folks inside the living room when we got inside to whom we had to present our gifts that we were going to bring and be able to talk about them. And thus went on the whole weekend. All We had to change our money. We had to do, you know, we had to have dinner conversations, et cetera. So she gave us this mini taste of what it was going to be like to be in France that I think emboldened us, um, prepared us. But also just like for me anyway, it, it, it fascinated me and it excited me and it made me want to go and be a part of a family in France, which was my first time going abroad. Um, and it's always stuck with me because she took such care to create an immersive experience. And ultimately, my work at the D school and teaching design at Stanford has really been about trying to create immersive learning experiences. And I think the seed was planted by Mary Kimball. So Mary Kimball, thank you so much. You put me on an incredible path and I'm so grateful. That's so cool. I wanted, I mean, the amount of time that it had to take to, to do all right. of that and to, to think and make that happen. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. That's, that's actually inspiring. I think it's so, right. It remains inspiring to me. And you know, that was in 1985. So it's a long time ago. Very cool. Uh, Susie, it was awesome talking with you. Designing for Belonging is a thought-provoking, engaging book. I can't thank you enough for sharing, and I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.